Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. Welcome, everybody. Today Welcome is to Medical February 23rd, 2022. It's a very rainy day the past 24 hours, but we have some snow coming, which I'm hopefully will stick for this weekend so we can get out again before the spring rolls in. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Leah Davison, a professional mountain biker and Olympian and a Vermonter. So Leah is from Jericho, is that right? Is that where you were born? Yeah, yeah Jericho, Vermont, Northern awesome. Vermont. And another elite athlete graduate of Middlebury College. Uh, we've had Tim Van Orden on the show, uh, another elite athlete from Middlebury College. Uh, Leah nice. graduated with a degree in environmental studies mm-hmm. and began mountain bike racing in 2001, which we're going to learn all about. Uh, won the bronze at the 2014 World Championships, third overall at the 2015 World Champion or World Cup Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on and on. She competed in the Olympics twice, London in 2012 and Rio in 2016. Lots of great information uh, out there on the web, which you can review. And she co-founded Little Bellas, which is a mentoring on mountain bikes program for girls. And I know nothing about it intentionally. I did not look it up because I'm excited to learn it All from right. you, Leah. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about growing up in Jericho. Yeah, I, um, you know, my family moved there. I was born in New York, so I'm not a true Vermonter for those, those diehards. Yeah, I just have to get it out there. I'm not a seventh generation Vermonter, but I still proudly call myself a Vermonter. Uh, my family moved from Pennsylvania, actually, to Vermont, to Jericho when I was five years old. And mm. I really just think it was the best place to grow up in. I'm sure as you can relate to and know, um, Vermont is a great community. And I really feel like it's one of the places where um, the small town energy and community exists, like one of the last places where it exists in the world. So it was an incredible community to grow up in. It was just an outdoor playground. I grew up, you know, downhill ski racing. That was, that was really the main sport as well as a bunch of other sports because my mom grew up pre title nine and she's a very competitive woman. So she wasn't afforded the same opportunities in sport that we were. So because of that, her and my dad just threw us into every sport possible from sailing, swim team, cross-country running, um, really everything. So the things that we we kind of focused on, um, my sister and I growing up was um, downhill ski racing. We really were into it. And then you got in, did you get into Nordic racing as well? Well, that, that came later. So I was a, I was running cross-country in the mm-hmm. fall and then I was um, downhill ski racing in the winter And later on, um, you know, got into mountain biking, like at the end of high school. And so um, not until actually my sophomore year at Middlebury, I I tore my ACL like at the end of freshman year. And I um, had surgery the fall of my sophomore year. So I wasn't ski racing um, downhill. I was really just rehabbing. And that's the winter that I took up Nordic skiing. And I learned how to Nordic ski and it 
turns out it's way better training for mountain bike racing. So that's, that was kind of my entry into Nordic skiing. And now I love it. You know, that's, that's the main, I love any kind of skis on snow, but really that's the main way I train in Vermont in the winter for professional mountain bike racing. You know, jumping ahead real quick to just talk a little bit about your ACL tear. I think that would be really great for the audience to hear about. Oh yeah, we can, I mean, how long do you have, Trey? We can go through all my injuries. Um, yeah, I tore it uh, at a ski race in Sugarbush and luckily it was only the ACL. It wasn't the MCL, any of the other ligaments in the knee. And interestingly enough, I, um, you know, I saw my, my strength coach, my physical therapist, Bill Knowles, and he said, I had this whole bike season, my first season pro lined up. So I was devastated. I'm like, I can't race my bike. I, you know, I'm going to, I have this knee injury and he goes, you can still race a bike without an ACL. And I'm like, what? So mm. we, we really focused on strength and conditioning. You know, if you're, if your quad muscle is strong, if all the muscles surrounding the joint are turned on and strong, they will actually stabilize the knee and not as well as if you had an ACL. So I was, right, right. you know, the joint was stabilized enough so I could race that full season. And then I went into surgery in the fall really strong, actually, because I had really focused on it. So that makes the rehab process um, a lot easier. And sure. I use my hamstring um, instead of my, um, what's the ligament in the front of the knee? Oh, your patellar tendon? Yeah, patella, sorry. I, I just yeah. forgot. So, because, you know, cycling is such like a repetitive motion that um, we were afraid that if I use patella, like I would have surrounding, um, you know, right. surrounding consequences. So, yeah, that's, and I had it done um, right here in Vermont. Oh, that's great. So I, 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 this is my fault. I've jumped all over the place because I'm so excited uh, in this discussion. Let me go back. And I just want to ask, you know, you talked about your mom. Sounds like she was quite an inspiration. Um, and you mentioned Title IX. And I have to say, uh, you know, even though it wasn't that long ago, still, I don't think it was that common that uh, high school girls got into yeah. mountain biking. How did you get into mountain biking? Yeah, I, you know, mountain biking has been a very much so still is, but it's getting better, a male dominated sport. And I had a friend at the time um, that I was, you know, running cross country with, and he was into mountain biking. And we were running track in the spring. And he said, you know, why don't you stop running around in circles? And, and what do you come try this? You know, you can ride my bike. Um, his name is Dan Dabrowski. And I, it was like love at first sight. I mean, it really combined like the endurance that I had learned from, you know, and pushing my limits from running, from cross country running, and then kind of like the technical skills and looking ahead, it felt very similar to um, downhill ski racing. So it was kind of the marriage of both of these sports that I had put a lot of effort and energy into, and it just kind of took off for me. Did, did your parents, um, did that cause them any concern or were they pretty used to, <laughs> to sports like that? You know, it's so funny because yesterday you're catching me at a very unique time. I, um, yesterday I announced my retirement from World Cup racing after 20 years of racing on the international level. 
And wow, would, I'm so honored to be the first uh, interview you have, maybe, or I don't even know if I am, but that's pretty <laughs> yeah, cool. You're one of the first, definitely. Um, so this is a this is a very big moment for me. Um, I've been doing it my entire life and pursuing kind of that top level of the sport. So I was on the phone with my parents and and kind of reflecting back, and I said, mm. "How did you guys do it? You know, like how were you not so stressed and?" worried like I never got that energy from them and they never they never gave me that energy because they didn't want to impact me at all like I have enough stress to take on with like going off these really big drops drops I mean they can be 14 feet high and then these huge jumps and these like you know it's risky it's and it got more and more risky and challenging kind of in in the latter half of my career so I was like, how did you do it? And my dad said, well, I just trusted in your skills. Like I mm -hmm. knew that you had developed the skills to do all these things. And my mom said, and ski racing kind of trained us, you know, like we, you were downhill ski racing, which is also a risky thing. So we had gone into mountain bike racing with some training with that, taking on that kind of worry. And my mom goes, uh, now I'm going to sleep a lot better <laughs> now that you're retired. <laughs> so I caused my mom, I guess, more than 20 years of not great sleep. <laughs> I know you get this question all the time, but just help our audience understand like what it was like when you, when you realized, and it probably wasn't a point in time, but it was, but I know it was a narrow window when you realized, Oh, wait a minute, I'm going to go on the national scene and I may even make the Olympic team. Yeah. Oh, that would, I mean, all those steps are very exciting. And it's, and it's like you said, it's a gradual progression. And there was one moment in time when I started getting into mountain bike racing. I was racing these, I was 17 years old, racing these local races in Vermont. And then at 18 years old, the next summer, I did two national races as a junior. So that means you're 18 years old and younger. And I won one of these junior races and USA Cycling came up to me and they said, hey, you've won this race. You've qualified for the world championships. And I was like, there's a world championships for this. I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> and in that point in time, I was like, oh, there's a world championships. There's an Olympic mountain bike race you can do this professionally, like as a job. And once I realized that I was all in, you know, I had that Olympic dream from a very young age. And I, I felt like I had finally found a path to it. You know, I, I, it was kind of like a natural, I naturally took to the sport. And then from that, between that point, you know, turning pro, getting on pro teams, making my first world championship team, you know, and then to the point of getting to the Olympics, there's a lot of years. I mean, there, there was, let's see, 2001 was my first world championships and I made the 2012 Olympic team. So, you know, it's that many years in between realizing the ultimate dream. And it's just, a, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> I mean, it's going oh, for bike rides in 30 degrees and raining, you know, in Vermont, all the weather. So, yeah. 
So I, I'm sure during that huge time, there's all kinds of, as we were talking about right before we went live here, there's all kinds of health concerns there. There's, mm. there's the wellness aspect, physical wellness. Uh, I would imagine there's a mental wellness. Yeah. And then there is, um, you know, what happens when you do have injuries like the ACL tear or, or big ones? Can you just, I mean, this is a health show. So yeah. let's just talk a little bit about that. Talk to us a little bit about your experiences. Yeah, I love that question because... Uh, wellness in general, all the aspects of wellness and mental wellness too, and mental health um, are very crucial to success at an elite level of athletics. So sleep is important. Nutrition is important. Obviously, physical well-being, uh, recovery, strength and conditioning so you can prevent injuries and, and really reach that peak form of fitness. So you know, I focused on all of those aspects, um, over my career and, and, you know, a sports psychologist, a sports physiologist, a sleep specialist with the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee, you know, once you reach those upper echelons of, of the sport and performance and, and you're in that, um, you're on the Olympic team or on that path, then a the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee have a lot of great resources. So, um, I, and, and also body work is really crucial. And that's something mm. that I pay a lot of attention to. I mean, recovery, sleep and body work are, and, and hard work on the bike, obviously that's a given and, and training, but those, all those other things outside of that is, are, they're really crucial. And so I will get uh, cranial sacral work, which is energy work. I've gotten acupuncture over my career. I see a chiropractor who does um, kinesiology, chiropractic, a massage therapist, at least weekly, mostly, mostly weekly. Um, yeah, it's like there's a village of support that's behind every Olympian. And definitely the body workers are a central part of the, of my village. Like they're on the governing council, you know, to keep me going. So I think what you bring up is, um, is incredible because I think it actually could translate, uh, to the non-Olympian population, which yeah. is the other 99.9% of the population who, who hear things about, you know, elite athletes uh, and think they don't pertain to them, but actually the same wellness and the same programs could be beneficial uh, to anyone really. Yeah. And I hope that as, um, you know, exercise science and exercise physiology has progressed that we can start uh, translating that some into our preventative and healthcare maintenance. I mean, as a doctor, that's what, what I would hope is, is that I see someone for their illness, but also see them, and be able to provide them resources that they can afford yeah. uh, that will help them with their mental and physical well-being. Very similar, you know, not, not the same, but similar to what an elite athlete, you know, the, the, the tools an elite athlete uh, may have in front of them. Absolutely. And there's so much information out there right now with, there's just been a boom over my, you know, 20 year career of sleep trackers and nutrition apps and, and everything. So there's actually a lot of resources at your fingertips and you have to be, make sure that they're reputable, right? Like you're, you're listening to good sources of information and doctors like yourself. And it's key. I mean, 
You're absolutely right. Everything, the same concepts apply for general well-being. I mean, for example, my wife, Fraser Blair, she has a very demanding job at the Orvis company and she takes care of herself like me, you know, like an elite athlete, because it puts the same demands, like that amount of stress, it puts the same demands on the body. So she gets massage often, she gets body work, we make sure to get enough sleep. I mean, it's, it's really the same approach to well-being. Right. Well, maybe Leah, at some point, you know, we can go in on a business together and, and see how can we make this? I mean, there are health coaches out there and there's certain yeah. a lot, certainly a lot of information out there and you have to be motivated a bit. Um, and I think it can scare off some of the population who think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not an elite athlete at all. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm middle of life. And, um, and I think, I think that it, it is time that we can start making some of these resources, at least at some level available to the population as a part, again, of the health system, of healthcare, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, maybe we'll have you back on the show in a couple of years once you've established that. Uh, yeah, that. that would be fun. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your, your organization, Little Bellas. Yeah, Little Bellas was founded in 2007 by my sister, Sabre Davison, and myself and another woman and our friend, Angela Irvine. So you know, when my sister and I were growing up racing mountain bikes in the junior ranks, we looked around on our start line and saw like, oh, there's only like 10 other women here on the start line with us. And then we would watch the junior men start and there would be like 100 junior men, 200. And we just thought this is not right. You know, we need to change this. We need to give we wanted to give more girls the opportunity and kind of the doors that had opened for us when we started racing bikes and, and riding bikes. So that's why we founded Little Bellas. And we also wanted to give girls really good role models, pretty much. So it is a group mentoring program. It's, it's headquartered here in Vermont and it, you know, and it's started here in Vermont and now we're a national program. So we have, chapters all around the US. Um, this year we will get I probably around 1500 girls on bikes. So that's very exciting. And it's mostly, it's programs run by, we're really powered by our volunteer mentors. They're, these are incredible women that volunteer their time and effort to help mentor and, and ride with these little Bellas. And we have program leads around the country so that start their own chapters and their own programs. And we have some week-long camps, but mostly our programming is weekly sessions for a set amount of time. Mm-hmm. It could be over a month, six weeks. And it's really fun. You know, we, these program leads, these mentors, they're really the lifeblood of Little Bellas and the spirit and soul of Little Bellas. And it's, it's just so much fun. For those in the audience that um, are interested in learning more, I, I assume, is there a website resource? Yes. Um, please go check us out. It's littlebellas.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's littlebellasmtb. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Leah Eats A Lot. <laughs> this is what <laughs> my handle is. <laughs> that is great. Tell me, um, I have this little note here. It says, happiness is fast. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, we talk about mental health, right? So I, my approach is that if 
if someone is happy and finding joy in life, then you're racing fast, you know, and, and this has proved mm -hmm. true for me over my entire career. So I, you know, developed that saying and that hashtag to kind of spread that concept because a lot of times from the outside, professional sports, it's intense. Mountain bike racing is intense and it's stressful. There's a lot of pressure. And if we can find those moments of joy within, you know, just the pure joy of riding a bike, racing a bike, traveling around the world, because a lot of it is hard work and drudgery. And then if, if you can find some moments of joy in that, then, you know, you are going to have a better, better life and also go faster. And I think that's part of the reason why I've been able to have such a long career that's lasted 20 years. I love it. I'm going to start using that hashtag myself. Uh, yes, please do. <laughs> you also use your platform to advocate for the LGBTQ rights. And tell us a little bit about that and what it's meant for you. Yeah, this, this is something that um, only recently I've kind of leaned into this advocacy because when my wife, Frazier, and I were getting ready to get married in, in 2018, you know, before that I was out obviously, but I wasn't really loud about it, especially on my social media platforms. Uh, you know, my friends, my family, some sponsors knew, and there was still kind of that underlying fear of like, well, am I fully accepted in this space and industry? And, and in your travels, I imagine too, yeah. you're internationally traveling, which is quite different than hanging out in, in Vermont. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as you know, even different parts of the U.S. are are different, you know, for than Vermont. So, um, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit scary, and so that's why, okay, just just keep it on the down low. And then in the lead up to my marriage, my wedding, a sponsor at the time during Pride Month in June said, "Hey, Leah, we'd like to celebrate you getting married." Um, so. So send us like some photos and everything. And they put those photos out on their social media platforms, really just celebrating that aspect yeah. of me. And then the same year, a sponsor who makes bicycling, uh, bicycling clothing, Garneau, um, my clothing kit sponsor, they made me and Fraser a custom wedding kit. So like it was a full white skin suit that, that we wore on like the bike ride the morning before a wedding. And they also, you know, put that out on their social media platforms. They um, did an email blast about it. And it was just like kind of this realization, like, whoa, okay, this aspect is worth celebrating of myself and my sponsors are doing it. And it was such a gift because it gave me freedom to really be my full authentic self. And so from that moment on, I wanted to give that gift to other, the LGBTQ plus community and other cyclists, youth coming up to really make the statement and reduce that fear that, yes, you can be a professional athlete. Yes, you can make your dreams come true and go to the Olympics and you can have sponsors and support and you can be gay because there was some fear, you know, for me coming up through the ranks around those aspects. So 
yeah, that's, that's really when I leaned into advocacy work around that. Well, Leah, you have been, I know, an inspiration and a motivation to so many people, and that is what defines a leader. So um, as your past 24 to 48 hours have been um, a whirlwind with your announcing your retirement, what, what are your thoughts um, that you'd like to share now, or maybe you're not ready uh, professionally <laughs> and personally over uh, the next phase of your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm still, you know, wrapping my head around this whirlwind that has happened. I've just, I'm so moved by the amount of the outpouring of love that I've received. Um, so that's been really special and it's been really great to take in and, and kind of celebrate the last 20 years and moving forward. I, you know, I look forward to telling my story and sharing my experience more. I, want to develop and am building a public speaking career. So I'm very excited and motivated and inspired by that. So um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of lean more into that. And then this, this upcoming season in 2022, I will still be racing. So just domestically. So I'm doing a series called the Lifetime Grand Prix, which is a collection of gravel races and mountain bike races over the next summer. So that should be very exciting to kind of just settle in and, and for the long haul, you know, these, right, right. these races are longer. They're, they're true endurance tests. So that should be really fun. Well, that is so fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great it's so to be fun. here. We're going to have you back in, like, like I say, in, in the future here and, and as your career uh, takes off in, in motivating and, and inspiring others. Um, I'd like to also thank Mike Cutler from Cat TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, just as Leah said earlier, and we will see you next week. <laughs>